0: Hello, welcome to another episode from the Experiential Learning Dialogue series, produced by the Teaching and Learning Center, and recorded live from Burnaby Mountain at Simon Fraser University.
1: Um, so, everything that Dr. Jones said is true. Um, I did bug him for a couple of years, and I sort of did, you know, go to the dean and, you know, force him to do this. Um, um, but, you know, it was, it was actually because of uh, the course I took with him in first year. So when I first started here, I actually, even though I'm a mechatronic student, I did my first year up at Burnaby Burnaby Engineering Science and actually I had uh, Steve Whitmore and Mike and, and, and Dr. Jones, all, all of them first year. And the first year course actually was, in my opinion, very well done and it left a very strong impression on me. I'm not really sure about my fellow classmates, who some of them didn't even bother show up, showing up for class. But certainly for me, um, it was very personally impactful. And I thought, and it was also, it, it was a, it was one of the catalysts for me joining um, Engineers Without Borders, for example, um, and being being involved as a student on campus. And then I thought, um, well, you know, entering Science 100, it was a great course. Um, I learned a lot from it. Um, things that I don't learn taking electronic circuits or uh, machine design. And I thought, well, how come we don't have any of it later on? And at the same time, Engineers Without Borders um, nationwide has this uh, basically campaign to uh, increase awareness of you know, global engineering and make engineers make engineering education more of a focus and try to you know, think outside of just the technical realms. And I thought, well, you know, maybe it's time to do something like that. So, as president of the chapter, I tried to push for for this course because I I thought, you know, for, from first year after you get that experience with engineering science 100, you don't really have any more until you get to fourth year, and you'll you'll take sustainability and ethics. But there's nothing in between, and I thought that engineering science 100 wasn't really enough. So then. This whole project started, and then Mike was involved as well during the initial proposals. And then, and then after a couple of years, Dr. Jones went and did some administrative and political magic. And then poof, this course appeared and had its first offering last year. Um, I agree with Dr. Jones in that. It was a fairly scary experience at first. And because you know you are handing control over to students, and generally speaking, courses, you don't do that. Um, and there's probably very good reasons for why you don't want to do that one of the ways that we mitigated the problem was by only allowing upper level students to join. If you hand the control over to a bunch of unruly first years, you're going to get you know, exactly what you expect, which is chaos. So, um, so but, but you know, the system worked out really well and what it allowed to do is, is sort of, whereas in engineering science it was a lot of, you know, Dr. Jones was great at giving these lectures and giving you the material, and feeding you the information that will allow you to, you know, open up your mind. What this course allows you to do is, you know, assuming that you've already gotten that, then you can you can sort of take what you know already um, and your own expertise and talk to people and other, interact with people and other faculties, which you don't usually get to do, and also allow you to take control of your own learning and, um, you know, take a subject and, and run with it, which is, something that uh, students or at least I in my undergrad never really had a lot of opportunity to do and I thought that that kind of stuff is very valuable so it was it wasn't experiential in the sense that we took people on field trips or anything like that although I I think we considered doing something like that with uh, Haida Gwaii or one of the other modules. Um, But it was experiential in, in in a different sense in the sense that Generally speaking, as people who specialize, engineers and basically everybody now, they specialize in some major and some faculty, you don't really interact with the other students. When I was an undergrad and I took electives, I took two history courses, I was really interested in history, but never really seriously interacted with the other history students. I never really, it was just, you know, I do assignments and I do maybe some project work, like it was sort of mild interactions. What this course did was it forced you know, people from different backgrounds and different educational backgrounds together to work on something, to, to have an honest dialogue about problems that, that involve everybody. And and also, it allows them to together try to explore solutions, explore the problem. And, um, you know, over the course of that, you learn a lot just by interacting with people that you don't normally interact with. And, you know, and then you sort of, and, and then you know, what we hope is that the students will come out of the course not only with better group work skills and all that kind of stuff but also, um, you know, have better appreciation for other disciplines and, um, and also learn a lot more about the problems that uh, they will come in contact once they graduate. So, um, and I think we've mostly achieved those aims with the course so that's about as much as I have to say about that, thank you.
2: So I guess a question for everyone, or do you have questions? One of the questions I have is around, um, like, uh, I think, John, you put it quite well about um, you were, you know, for the last 20 years you've been telling the students the answers and then hope when they go out and work in in the engineering field they'll find the questions. But, um, like, one thing you've all mentioned is you're you're asking the students to solve a problem that. Actually, may or may not be completely solvable, which is very unusual in engineering education to actually, or in my experience, I was only ever given answers, certainly, um, in engineering school. And uh, what that does to a student, when you send them off to find an answer to something, you give them the question, but the answer might not be there. And I think, um, John and George, you mentioned the sort of, uh, the, a sanitation problem in Kibera and um, I think Mike you mentioned uh, when they're trying to do the cradle to cradle where they there just aren't answers you can't get that information no one will tell you and it's not on the internet <laughs> um, so just throwing that out to I guess to everyone that idea of having questions giving the students a question um, that is not completely answerable or is so complex that you can't do it within a um, you know, credit-based course environment. Um, and how how do you do that? What what happens between the teacher and the student when you're doing that? And how do you design that uh, into your course? How do you deal with it? So just open to anyone to talk to.
1: Yeah, um... Would you like to start or? Uh, I, I'm thinking ahead. about group two and group four. Okay. Of last year's offering, but okay. So we actually have the perfect example for that. Um, and we had, okay, there were four groups in the course that was offered first time last year. Um, two of the groups I want to mention, one is group two, they worked on the global warming problem, which was global warming. So it was about as big a problem as you can get, right? So very broad, um, and, and it could encompass a lot of different and group number four, I think it was group number four, but anyway, on um, yeah, they they uh they're the ones that worked on the sanitation problem with Kibera. Um, not as big scope-wise as the global warming problem, but um, it's on the flip side, it's difficult to get information on. Global warming, you can get tons of information, there's lots of scientific literature on that stuff. Um, Kibera, 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 not so much, right? So uh, I think what really differentiated the groups uh, is is their approach to problems, and and I think that's one of the things that really makes groups uncomfortable is the good groups, at least in our experience, are are comfortable with with not necessarily knowing what to do first. Um, They're comfortable with uh, not being fed information, they're comfortable with going off and discovering exploring on their own um, and overcoming the challenges as they go. And then there are the groups who who either need a lot of hand-holding or they uh, they simply sort of can't get to grips with, they keep on trying to guess what you expect out of them and not really trying to do what you want them to do, which is just go off and explore the problem. So group two, uh, which actually really disappointed um, all of us, uh, despite a lot of, I mean, I I personally as TA spent a lot of time sitting with them, like just, you know, me and them and uh, and helping them, you know, and sort of giving them hints, not giving them answers, but, you know, trying to push them in a certain direction so that they actually do explore the problem. Rather than settling on some solution, that's not really the solution, right? And um, it was, I feel that I failed with group two to a certain extent because they weren't able to do what it was that we asked of them. But the successful part was that many members in the group realized that the mistakes that they, they made. So, um, you know, basically basically it's it's a challenging thing it 's a hard thing to do um and, and of course, you know I, I did have to get some bad ratings on my uh, on the feedback I got at the end of the course. Some people said, "Oh, you know you're horrible you. um, <laughs> obviously because you know um, you know they got bad mark because of this whole experiment but but then they learned something valuable and 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 I got that feedback as well at the end I, I think it's just a risk that the instructors and the TAs and the students we all take, we sort of all jump into this this, uh, you know, this abyss and, and uh, we hope for the best but I think what comes out of it is, is a lot of learning and I think it's good for everybody involved despite the fact that well, I mean, of course the barrier that we're talking about is precisely because it's difficult to do, right, but um, it's the cost but the benefits are, are tremendous
3: questions sort of related to that. Before you um, jump into the group works or the projects, do you have an open dialogue with your course about what experiential learning looks like, what it means? You know, you're supposed to feel uncomfortable. It's supposed to be interdisciplinary. Sort of the principles behind the pedagogy so that students don't think, oh, they're just throwing us into groups because they don't want to lecture. Because they're used to that traditional transactional you know, teaching approach, and now they're in a transformative sort of environment where they're really uncomfortable, and that's sort of the norm with experiential. Like, I wonder if it's worthwhile to explicitly have a dialogue saying, this is a bit of a shift in, in, you know, teaching and learning, and how you think and how you learn experientially is very different than your traditional lecture. You know, we've all heard the old cliché, stage on the stage, guide on the side, you know, that's old, but it's kind of true to maybe have that dialogue, and I don't know if any of you do. To kind of mitigate some of that risk, because it's not really risk; it's making excellent mistakes. It's learning from, you know, our growth, and that's all part and parcel of experiential principles.
1: Yeah, I'll just add a little note um, on your question. Um, we didn't have a discussion in the sense that you know you have two parties sitting together discussing something. It was more of you know Dr. Jones and I and Dr. Jensen telling them what they can expect from the course, and uh, you know I did. And we did you know during both during lecture at the beginning, we did sort of tell them about how this course is going to work and what they can expect as far as group work is concerned, as far as you know uh, what they're expected to do and how they are expected to react to things. I also wrote up some documentation how and, and you know for them to read so so that they get a sense of okay, how are we going to grade them you know and, and, and what we're really looking for. We do try to emphasize those things, but I, I do agree with you in the sense that we probably could have emphasized it more, because, and, and it was probably because we didn't really anticipate the scale of the problems that we were going to face um, as we go through It wasn't to the a
3: suggestion, it's just an inquiry, and it sounds like you are all doing that, though, by having those dialogues with the groups.
1: Yeah, perhaps we can have more. <laughs> <laughs> go ahead.
0: Um, so, my space uh, in, as far as experiential learning is kind of work uh, kind of on the background, and the, uh, well, how can we support experiential learning programs through either funding opportunities or in design of curriculum, um, you know, teaching mode of faculty, all those kind of structural things, trying to create a space for it. Um, and one of the challenges... So,
2: um, Dan, did you introduce yourself at the beginning? No, no. no. Why don't you just so, tell us who you so, are? I'm
0: Dan Burns. <laughs> I, uh, um, I'm in the faculty of environment, and I, um, I'm a manager of curriculum and academic planning, which is kind of, even though I'm in the faculty, I spend most, well, probably half my time working outside of the faculty on development of interdisciplinary programs. So, And uh, one of them is the collaborative teaching fellows program, projects yes. so you know it's kind of an uphill battle in some ways. so it's like how can we support at this university there's an important discussion that needs to take place about pedagogy but how do we create that space for that to be able to happen and uh, one of the questions i have is um, about scaling scaling the courses because there's some financial pressure all sorts of reasons for uh, okay experiential but how can we afford it at the university? And so I'm really curious about, you know, you saying you have a large class of what are the techniques and pedagogies as far as being able to scale up or no? You know, there's a limit to this and the university has just got to find a way to do that. Sometimes what I think about, I'll be interested in your comments, like people like George is... Um,
2: but I think... So just saying to other faculty and having a, a forum or forum for, a, for a to talk to um, you know other faculty about the kinds of experiments you want to do and sometimes sometimes it just hasn't been done in your you know in your department anyhow so you're just uh, like the um, I'm not sure if this sustainability engineering course was really like where an entire course is focused on sustainability has ever been done. At this university in engineering, uh, so you're just kind of like hoping for the best. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> but still, well, um, I, uh, talking to other faculty, I think, is really important. Like what you were saying, David. I just want to emphasize that's one of the things we do try to do at um, within the Teaching and Learning Center, and, and with your event coming up, um, yeah, I think that's one of the best ways to learn, actually. Yeah, I, I sort
1: of just want to follow up on that, which is. Um, so I think TAs, having been TA for this course and for the first iteration, you know, I, I sort of feel that uh, TAs are on the front lines of student interaction. And just coming back to answer your question there, and I think having adequately trained TAs, ad- adequately skilled TAs, and um, enough of them, and giving them enough resources to go around talking to students, I think would really help alleviate those kind of problems, not just in terms of, um, you know, you have a new course or you have a new concept and you, you want to sort of be able to gauge what the students are feeling and, and how they're responding. Um, and, and also in terms of scale, because my experience with, for example, that group that crashed and burned was that uh, even though they crashed and burned, I, I made it as much softer landing because, you know, um, actually fairly literally speaking because um, it could have been a lot worse but uh, I had not just spent time talking to the entire group at once and multiple times, I've also, you know, sometimes I just went grab lunch and then one of the students in the group would just sort of follow me and we have this discussion. And it's probably more personal than what most TAs would do. And, um, and then the reason I did it was because they really needed it. was because what you find is that when you throw students off the deep end, um, it's not just the group that struggles, it's, there's all this clashing of personalities and things going on within the group, and you have um, sort of weaknesses that sort of surface to talk because you threw them off the deep end, deep end, usually they wouldn't be pushed out of their comfort zone like this. When you do it, that's when you make them the most vulnerable. That's when they usually need the most support. And as TA, I mean, instructors don't usually have time to do that. But as TAs, you're supposed to do that, and you should have the time to do that. And so, what I did was, you have to be able to identify, or at least know, which students are having what kind of problems, and usually there are telltale signs of that happening. And then, if you sort of disengage. You know, with the student a bit, and then and then what usually happens is that they open up a lot more because you're a TA. They know that you're there to help them, Um, and once you open up the the floodgate, then then uh, then you really help them on a personal level and deal with some of the underlying issues. Like for example, how come uh, they weren't as effective a group? You get all sorts of different perspectives from from members of that group, and you help them with a lot of. Sometimes even some personal issues that tie in with why the group work wasn't going well. So I so basically my point is that I think TAs, <laughs> TAs, good TAs, and um, enough TAs, very important for these kinds of experimental courses.
0: That concludes this audio episode of the Teaching and Learning Center's recording of the Experiential Learning Dialogue Series. Listen to other episodes from these events or visit our website at sfu.ca slash TLC.